Hello, Scuttlebutt listeners. I am William, and I'm here today with Vic. Hey! And right before we start today's awesome interview, it is Monday, and we are excited to promo the beginning of Modern Day Marine 2023, which starts this week. Vic and I will be there. We will have a MCA Scuttlebutt booth, and I will be there with MCA Films getting footage as well. So we really hope we get an opportunity to see you, potentially interview you if you're if you're interested. And uh, Vic, do you have anything for him? Yeah, come check us out. We'll be down near the Wargaming Center. Uh, we've got a booth. We've got our mobile suite. Uh, we've got MCA Films. Yeah, come check it out. Check us out. Like obviously, we want to get you guys, our listeners, to come and just yeah, come see us, say hello, and maybe get on the microphone and give us some of your thoughts, and uh, we'll put you on air. All right. Awesome. Well, anyways, enjoy the rest of this episode. We hope hopefully be able to see you at Modern Day Marine 2023. Bye. See ya. Hey, Scuttlebutt listeners. Thank you so much again for joining us. I am Vic. Uh, I'm on the solo today. No William, no Nancy. Uh, but I will try to not derail this thing right from the get-go, which I feel like I'm already starting to do. But one thing I definitely want to... Um, take the time is to welcome uh, I'm so happy to have uh, Joshua Caldwell here he is the director of a movie that's uh, coming out soon called Mending the Line Um, it delves into so many important topics it really hits home for me um, as someone who uh, has had some very similar experiences uh, to what is depicted in the movie Um, and obviously for our listeners this is something that resonates uh, for service members, families, spouses, and people who are um, in the the sort of mental health game, as you will. So, Joshua, thank you so much, man, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about the movie. Yeah, and I'm actually excited just to talk to you. Um, you're uh, looking at sort of your body of work, man. You you really sort of span the gamut as far as um, storytelling. Uh, film production. Um, could you just talk us a little bit about sort of your journey uh, to getting into the director's chair and sort of what started you off in this on this wonderful path? Yeah, I mean, I always had an interest in movies. My dad was a big moviegoer. And, you know, back in the uh, 80s when I was growing up in 90s, it was like, you know, so many great movies were coming out. And I kind of got into it you know, I would I would uh, see a movie like Batman or Robin Hood or Huck Finn, whatever, and I'd like organize the kids in the neighborhood and we would like act it out, you know. And so that was yeah. my early, early uh, touch on directing, I guess. Um, you know, I had no concept of what a director did or even that how movies were made. I just knew, you know, I wanted to live in those worlds, you know. Um, I very quickly realized I had no interest in acting. But um, was very interested in sort of the behind the scenes. And there was a, uh, a really great show on Discovery Channel called Movie Magic, which was this peak behind the scenes, um, especially in the 90s when you had these movies like Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 and Apollo 13. And the show would look at the special effects. They would look at like Stan Winston, how he created the dinosaurs for Jurassic Park, um, how they did the T-1000 for Terminator, just really, really cool stuff and really gave me a peek into the movie making process. And that got me really sort of interested. And then in high school, um, we had a really great program. We had a two period a day uh, video production class and we had avid editing systems and digital cameras. And so I very early on got to start 
you know, practicing and starting to learn how to do it. But then even more important than that, um, at my high school, we had this kind of like history of the sort of student body officers would make these parody films of whatever film was popular at the time. And they would show it to the entire school. And this was such a unique thing. Maybe more people do it now, but I knew at the time very few were doing it. And I just had to be involved. And a buddy of mine got involved with that and started making those. And so I clamored on in whatever way I could. And, you know, it was great because you got to actually not just like make, it was like pre-YouTube, right? Now YouTube, you can put it out there and people can see it. But at that time, unless you were somehow, I don't even know how you would get people to see your movie, maybe like in a film festival or something like that. But as an 18 year old, like who's nobody's programming that movie. So, you know, it was a chance to just show this school or have like 1200 people watch your film and see like what was working, what wasn't. And it was really around this time that it really cemented for me that I wanted to make films. So um, that said, I, I, for, uh, I did not go to a film school. Um, I went to Fordham University in New York City. Um, I just started making movies on my own. I had Fordham had a really fantastic acting program. So like that was a big part of it. Like I got to work with like great actors. In fact, there's actors that are in my class and the class above me that have gone on to do pretty sizable things in Hollywood. And so I just got the chance to like hone that aspect of it. Right. And um, made a bunch of not great movies, made one that was okay, but that one got me uh, an MTV movie award um, right after I graduated a golden popcorn. And uh, that kind of kicked off. Well, I wouldn't say that kicked off my journey to Hollywood, but that brought me to L.A. And I basically started hustling and directing and writing and whatever I could and ended up working for the creator of CSI for a couple of years, um, doing a lot of stuff in the digital space for him and uh, and then made my first feature layover. And after that, it was, you know, took off from there. Yeah, that's so cool. I I love that idea because I'm a 90s kid, too. Um, and there is such a, uh, it seems like such a cultural shift where now, um, it seems like, you know, kids these days, right here, I am the old crusty guy, but, um, you know, kids these days are the current generation when they think about generating content or, or doing these sorts of things at the grassroots level, there's always this sort of eye on how many followers can I get from this? And then it seems like from your standpoint, it was like, how can I make my friends laugh or how can I just like entertain the people right, sort right. of around me? Or just even, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to make these things, you know, and, and show it to a whole audience of people. Like it was, it was cool, but I very easily slipped into it, you know, meaning like I, it felt very natural to me. It felt yeah. very uh, sort of right. And I feel most at home basically on film sets. And so you know, I I feel like that's my element, you know, Um, a lot of people, you know, even directing, like it's incredibly stressful. It's a very challenging thing. That's why a lot of people say they want to be a director and then they try it and they're like, oh no, I don't want to do this. (laughs) And to me, it comes to me, it's like, that's where I, I almost not want to be anywhere else, you know, than sort of on set dealing with those issues and getting to watch actors perform and and sort of, you know, running the show and, and, you know, and that, that's just something I throw, that's a, that's a space that I really thrive in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about, um, what genre then do you feel like you've are, are in the most, this is the most comfortable for you within that space? Cause you've done so many things. Um, what is it that, what are the kind of stories that you like to tell? I mean, I would say my sensibilities lean most towards drama you know, um, which is unfortunate because drama is hard to make, 
these days. You know, um, drama tends to not do well sort of overseas. And so people shy away from it, especially in the indie, you know, I mean, indie films do, but like in terms of like getting your stuff funded and, you know, people are leaning more into the horror thriller, you know, action space, which I don't mind, you know, action's fine. Um, and I really like thriller, but I'd say that like the movies that have done the best for me have been, you know, these dramas, you know? And so, um, you know, cause I, I kind of, it's interesting cause I grow up, I, I grew up in like, uh, um, you know, again, watching movies in like the nineties. And to me, that was such a, an amazing sort of, um, you know, sort of meshing of filmmakers, individualistic filmmakers aesthetic with like big budget studio films, right? I mean, you had mm -hmm. guys like Soderbergh and David Fincher and Clint Eastwood and Michael Mann and, you know, on and on and on um, making these really, in, in some cases, dramas, like, but making these really great adult, you know, oriented films that you know were not really thriller not really action um and and just bringing their own thing to it so that that's really cemented in my own sort of approach in my own aesthetic is like finding ways to like you know stand out as a filmmaker but also tell commercial stories you know tell stories that are going to appeal to a wide audience i mean my two favorite movies of all time are the insider and traffic you know and so um, that's sort of where my sensibilities lay, but sort of, yeah, I mean, I'm just not a comedy guy. I don't do, com you know, comedy is a very specific thing and I don't really spend time in it and, you know, spend a lot of time doing it. doesn't mean there isn't humor in the stuff I do, but, but sort of a comedy forward centric type of film is not really my thing, but otherwise, yeah. you know, anything that's sort of on the drama side, whether that's thriller or action, um, you know, that that's sort of where I live right now. That's cool. And then, I mean, especially uh, as we started, you know, we lean a little bit into uh, mending the line. Um, you see a lot of sort of those, um, sort of overlay of <clears throat> some of the genres, especially when you're looking at, when you start looking at a military movie that isn't just a shoot 'em up sort of, um, you know, spaghetti Western style. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, of that that goes into the storytelling because it's a, um, it's a human experience, right? It's not just uh, sort of a beating your chest, uh, sort of raw, raw, pay, you know, propaganda film. Um, you're looking at veterans and, and actions within the military context, but that context is centered within the human, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's certainly more Rambo 1 than like Rambo 3, you know, kind of thing. Where <laughs> right. it kind of just went into this whole... Just shoot him up thing, but Rambo One like is really about PTSD in a big way. You know, it's about this mm -hmm. guy who's like severely affected by war and just like gets you know kind of attacked by these guys. You know, it, it was very much a sort of like you know Vietnam versus the protesters type of world. You know, and so anyway, but yes, I mean, I think that like you know the 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 tragedy of war is that war is fought by humans, and and there is you know. People suffer as a result. They suffer directly as a result of being killed or injured, and they suffer, you know, um, sort of indirectly through, you know, the sort of effects of, of being there. And even more so, like, I mean, you know, it's really fascinating to me that, that you know, only 5% of, of active duty military will ever see combat, and yet something like 50%, um, you know, putting claims for PTSD benefits. And Sebastian Younger, you know, did a lot of research into this and he was looking into it. And it was really kind of interesting. It's not just, you know, the effects of PTSD is not just related to combat. You know, it's related to the sort of loss of that brotherhood, sisterhood, that camaraderie, 
right? Like the experience, and, and I am, you know, I'm not a veteran, so I can't speak directly to it, but this is my, what I understand it to be is it's like, it's the loss of that kind of like group, you know, sort of experience and the return to sort of a very alienated individualistic world. So it's, you know, to me, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a human story. And I think like one of the things that, you know, you can do is you can't, it's really difficult to understand things through abstractions, you know, oh, 10,000, you know, 3,000 veteran, 3,000 military killed, you know, X number, like it's, it, it reaches a point where you can't process it. And the only way to really understand sort of the experience of war is to understand it on an individual story, you know, and that is sort of what the movies that do well, right? That that tell these kinds of stories do well. That's what they focus on. You know, it's it's not about these big battles. It's about the person that's experiencing those battles. And so, yeah, like you know, Bending the Line has certainly got a bunch of different approaches into it. Obviously, you know, more so than you need to, the audience to sort of understand where John's coming from, where Coulter's coming from in his experience in Afghanistan. And then, really, once you're once you're out of the action element, you're into you know, more of the drama, you know, but the other thing is you don't, you want to entertain people, right? You want, it's, it's, life is not consistently depressing or consistently like dramatic, right? Like there's humor and there's, um, you know, not romance, but there's connection, you know? And so the way that sort of Steven, you know, uh, Camilio who wrote the film weaved a lot of that in and out, uh, throughout this story, I thought was really magnificent. Yeah, agreed. And, and one of the, as I'm looking at sort of um, the stuff you've got there in, the, in your background, um, one of the themes that sort of brings all of this together is fly fishing. Um, and I am I correct that you are an avid fly fisherman? I am. I'm not the best fly fisherman, but I, you know, I've only been doing it for a couple for about six years now. But yes, no, I mean, fly fishing has truly become one of my passions um and something i do very very often and that's why like when this movie came around to me because i had you know a lot of people that knew me when i started telling them about this film you know i, I my my director of photography and and my manager well not my manager he knew about it but like you know i started talking like even my wife she was like how how did you not come up with this idea right because it just seems so <laughs> like you i'm like i had nothing to do with it like you know i it was all steven steven and i didn't know each other before working on this film and, um, but yeah, fly fishing has certainly become a major passion of my passion of mine. And that's why I really felt so, I just felt like I've got to do this. You know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't want this film to be lost to, you know, a sort of TV director who's looking to do his first feature, who has a ton of experience, but is not a fly fisherman. I thought that, you know, the, it was really important that whoever was at the helm had an understanding of what this sport was and why it's so um, transformational to the, especially veterans, but anybody who's experiencing trauma, how, you know, um, this sport can be transformative for them and their lives. And so, you know, I have a very small sense of that, you know, again, don't, I don't personally have any kind of trauma in my life, but, you know, being somebody that lives in his head, um, fly fishing is is a welcome you know uh step away from the desk so to speak you know you're you're doing a lot of head work it's a knowledge-based you know sort of um job directing and writing and going out on the water the beauty of fly fishing and this is why i find it to be so um effective as a 
as their as therapy is that to do to fly fish correctly you cannot you have to be in the present like, like to fly fish correctly you have to be in the moment existing in the moment and the reason for that is that you are it is just it's not you know spin fishing you can kind of stand on the bank or sit in a chair and cast it out and just like very lazily reel it back in and you'll catch fish that way but the act of fly fishing means you need to you you have to go to the fish which means you got to get in the water which means you're standing in in a current and you're feeling the that that pressure pushing against your legs and your legs are making a thousand different micro adjustments to stay upright you know and you're trying to cast your fly line which is not an easy thing to do you know there's a very precise sort of way of doing it that will that will get your fly out there and so you're focused on that and then you're focused on your drift because you know effectively if you're if you're fishing uh, dry flies like your drift might be a foot long or six inches and then you got to pick it up again right so you are constantly sort of doing things and the act of doing that sort of short circuits that trauma loop that a lot of people are experiencing yeah. you know where they talk about how they can't get out of that trauma loop like they can't escape it the 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 the, the act of fly fishing interrupts that because to do it correctly you can't be thinking about anything else and i think that's sort of indicative too about a number of other things right but we talk about fly fishing in this movie but you can see across the country various forms of therapy that extend well into other sports you've got surfing right surfing is the same thing if you're not thinking about it in the present moment you're going to fall you're not going to do well yeah. right um you know <laughs> uh equine therapy working with horses like horses live animal like you have to be present with that animal in order to do it right so like these kinds of um of sort of sports or activities can be very valuable to people who you know, can be stuck in that loop. And that's why you're seeing, you know, not only with veterans, but you're seeing it happen with cancer survivors, you know, you see it happen with um, other trauma survivors, like, so it's a, it's a pretty significant thing. And it was something I wasn't fully aware of, you know, when I got involved with the movie, obviously, I'd heard about like Project Healing Waters, and I knew sort of like about the idea of it, because the fly fishing is very, very intertwined with with veterans. Um, but really, the extent of of how powerful it is didn't come into focus for me until um, Stephen and I got to go on a fishing experience with the guys over at Warriors and Quiet Waters, who became a real foundational partner for us on the film. And, you know, they basically take post 9-11 combat veterans, they fly them out to Montana, they give them waders and reels and boots all for free, they get to keep them, and they take them fishing. And we listened, we sat on, you know, on the stream and listened to these guys tell us about how again, I keep using this word, but like how transformational this experience was for them. I mean, one guy told me, he's like, man, the first time I caught a fish, like I started bawling, I was crying. And he's like, I have no idea why, like, I don't know where that came from, but it was this sudden welling up of emotion. And, you know, and he felt, he said that when he was letting, you know, that fish back into the water, releasing the fish, he was like letting go of everything that he had been holding in, you know? And when you hear that, you, you really go, okay, I think we've got something here. We have a story that is really going to connect with people. And then that, that, you know, coming back to sort of the, the idea of why I wanted to make the movie and, and fly fishing was this means we got to get it right. We got to get the fly fishing, right. Right. We got to get the portrayal of, of the Marines. Correct. We got to get the portrayal of PTSD. Correct. We got to get the portrayal of the VA as correct as we can within the limitations of a two hour film, you know? And so right. that, all that became very, very important. And I think that, you know, if we are going to do justice to these sort of 
real life versions of our story, right? The, if we, you know, because this this story is happening all over, all across the country. If we're going to do justice for that, we can't be having people hold the fly rod wrong or do stuff that is, you know, incorrect and inaccurate to the story that we are trying to tell because then they're not going to watch it. You know, and I had a lot of military guys and veterans tell me, oh, I can't watch, I can't watch movies about, you know, the military because uh, it's so fake and not real. And I was like, okay, that's a good challenge for me. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to make the movie that you can watch and, and be satisfied with. And, and so for our listeners, <clears throat> just to clarify, so the uh, movie Mending the Line uh, uh, is a story about a Marine who is wounded in Afghanistan um, and returns home, is struggling with uh, his transition and is sort of uh, re-acclimatization uh, re uh, back into society, has a desire to return to active duty, um, but then meets uh, through the this VA treatment facility, meets a Vietnam veteran who is a uh, local legendary legend fly fisherman. Um, and this uh, these two veterans come together. Uh, the Vietnam vet teaches this young Marine um, to a way to use fly fishing as a treatment <clears throat> for his trauma. Um, so, what were some of what was sort of your um, entry into fly fishing? And then do you see I know you you mentioned, obviously, um, that you don't have a military service, but was there a similar entry point that sort of comes out here on in the film as well? Some uh, some experience that you've sort of tangentially shared with the audience? Well, I think um you know, I got started in fly fishing because I had, I always had a loose interest in it, right? I mean, my grandfather was a fisherman. We would go fishing, not fly fishing, but we would go up to like Alaska and go up to Canada and, and do some like salmon fishing. And I always really enjoyed it, you know, but, and I grew up in, in Seattle, Washington. I didn't fish much there, you know, a little bit of here and there with lakes and things like that. Um, but I, you know, obviously I saw river runs through it when I was young and sort of the notion yeah. of fly fishing always stuck with me. But then I moved to New York and lived in L.A. And of course, now I discover that you can go into Central Park and fish for carp and, you know, and, and panfish. And that in L.A., you could go fish the L.A. River for carp, which is becoming such a huge sort of part of the sport. But at the time, I had no idea, you know. And so um, but then I moved to New York and, um, you know, I was trying to think of something to do. And um, and I ended up taking a two day uh, Orvis class and uh up in sandinona and um you know it was just a uh it was cool it was like a two-day introduction i mean they fly through it you know and you get a rod and a reel and and uh, you know but i just really instantly loved the whole thing about it and um basically then started fishing couldn't figure it out you know spent a whole season just messing around in the water and having not ca catching anything you know and then i met a guy through Instagram, actually, who showed me a, a style of fly fishing that's called Euro nymphing, which is um, sort of different than the dry fly, dry fly presentation, but it's a sort of subsurface type of fishing uh, with a type li tight line. And it's a really, really effective way of catching fish. And I started catching fish and then it just sort of spawned from there. So, you know, I got into it just kind of looking for something to, you know, and then I, of course, what's really crazy is I discovered that basically where I moved to 
was essentially, you know, the Catskills, just below the Catskills of New York. Catskills are effectively where is the birthplace of American fly fishing. Um, you know, and so I discovered that I was basically an hour away from some of the most storied waters, you know, the Willow Weemock, the Beaverkill, um, you know, these, these amazing rivers, the Esopus, um, that was like fishable, you know? And so I was like, oh man, this is, this is great. And so I've just, it's just become a thing, but I guess what I brought to the movie was less about my own personal experience and just knowing the very tiniest of ways that it helps me knowing how, you know, um, exponential that can be for somebody that is really experiencing a severe amount of trauma, you know? And, um, and it was really just, you know, my desire as a director to make sure that we did as great a job as we could, um, making effectively the second fly fishing movie ever made. <laughs> so, you know, um, <laughs> And, and that was just important to me as a lover of the sport. I wanted to make sure we were getting it right, you know, and we had the appropriate um, support and the appropriate, you know, people on board to help make us help make sure we got it right. And so that, that was really my driving force, because again, kind of what I said before is like seeing the more I learned and the more I delved into sort of the nature of, of again, using fly fishing as a, as a, as a way of healing from PTSD, not healing way of sort of managing and, and, and as a way of, as a form of therapy for those with PTSD. Um, I just felt like I wanted to do, you know, honor to the sacrifices that those guys had made. And uh, this felt like the right film to do it with. And so, you know, to me, it was just integral that, that, that this story be told right. And it'd be told in a way that does sort of does it with the honor and respect um, that these guys and that these men and women deserve, you know, for, for the sacrifices they made for our country. Sure. Well, I think that definitely um, your passion for the sport definitely comes through on the screen. Um, you know, just hearing you talk about the experience of fly fishing, um, it almost seems as if you're talking like you're you're intentionally bringing forward this allegory of what those suffering from PTS sort of go through on this daily basis. You know, this idea that like I'm in this current that's constantly pushing against me. It's cold. It's isolating. Um, I have to be in the moment and then, you know, using um, the techniques and the um the skills of fly fishing sort of break you out of that loop and to appreciate being in that moment, even though you're very much um, having these, this sort of push and pull with those forces around you. So um, I think that. Well, think, uh, about, think about what it, think about what fly fishing fishing does, you know, it, it gets you out of the house. <clears throat> it gets you in and amongst nature, which itself is healing. Yep. Right. It forces you to live in the mo present moment, which is what a lot of these these guys and, and women um, by, and by guys, I just mean everyone. But, you know, yeah, right. a lot, what a lot of these guys are 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 in a, uh, unable to do right to sort of step outside of that loop. They, they cannot live in the present and and it gets them active. Right. And not only and it does in a lot of ways put you back into a group. Right. You know, you got fishing buddies, you got, you know, um, and, and that that those kinds of things are what you know sort of lead to 
mm-hmm. a very profound change for these guys. And so um, at least that's what that that's sort of what I've experienced. That's what I've seen, you know, and it's 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 not really, you know, it's not really about fishing, fishing. Yeah. You know, it, when I, and there's that scene uh, when Coulter um, first goes out and um, the um, Brian Cox's character, uh, I forget his name. Uh, he first thing they do, you know, uh, Coulter wants the first thing he wants to do is, is get in the water. And, you know, this veteran of war and of fly fishing tells him no 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 like the first thing we do is we sit and we observe and we see uh you know we react to what the environment is presenting to us we don't go and try to shape it and massage it because you're just gonna screw it all up so i thought that was really there's a really sort of a beautiful scene um it reminded me you mentioned surfing uh you know for me growing up surfing that was always the first thing you do you don't just like grab your board, wax it up, and then jump in the water. You've got to watch. You've right. got to see where the swells, where is, where is it breaking, where is, the, you know. So, anyways, I thought that was such a beautiful scene. Um, so, yeah, let's just yeah, jump full you, in. Uh, let's just jump full into the movie. So, Mending the Line, um, first off, first and foremost, I wanted to say, like, how visually stunning um, this movie is. I There are a couple scenes um, in the beginning where it almost looked like, it was like from the Montana like tourism board because of some of yeah. the scenes and the shots that you guys had. It was great. What was that process like sort of doing the, I guess the, the location scouting and things of that nature? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're shooting in Montana outside, you don't have to do a whole lot, you know, you just point <laughs> that, you point that camera in any direction and it does a lot of the work for you. I mean, a lot, you know, all the, the visual credit goes to my director of photography, Eve Cohen who um, I've worked now, this is our third film together um, and she's fantastic. And, you know, we really understand, we have a great chemistry in terms of like, you know, our, our work and our collaboration together. She gets what I'm going for um, and she knows how to make things really beautiful. And I think like, you know, for us, it was about um, treating the audience to a subjective experience. Um, I'm not sort of an objective filmmaker. I don't tend to shoot stuff with this kind of like objective lens. I like to use the camera to sort of bring the audience into the world of the of the character. And, you know, though we have multiple characters in this film that are all equal in a lot of ways, Coulter's really our way in. And so the film, you know, what's interesting is if you'll notice, if you notice it, um, kind of the first half of the movie at least every time we see Coulter, um, there are no aerial shots. There are no real beauty shots of Montana. There, there is the one in the beginning where we see Brian fishing, and then mm-hmm. that's it. And you do not see them again until Coulter first comes to the river. And that was really intentional and incredibly difficult to restrain ourselves in that way because you are in Montana and you do want to see the beauty of Montana. But I felt that I wanted to take the audience on Coulter's journey. You know, I wanted to cement them into the violence and chaos of the opening battle scene. And then I wanted to take them, you know, into sort of Montana. But the thing is, like when Coulter early on gets to Montana, he's not he doesn't care about Montana. Montana to him is a way station on his way back to being a Marine. And so when you first see, say, like Livingston, we don't show this like beautiful, you know, aerial shot of Livingston. You see Livingston through the window 
of the van that Coulter is driving in, riding in. And that's intentional. Like, you know, it is kind of blocked by like, you know, the window. And so the first half of the movie is actually somewhat claustrophobic because that's where Coulter's head is. He's not seeing the world around him. Even when we're outside, we're close up on him and blurred the background. We never go to these big, nice wide shots. And it's not until Coulter actually is ready to see the Montana that exists in front of him that we then allow the audience to see the Montana that exists in front of them. And that's when he first goes to the Yellowstone river. And so, you know, um, obviously you still want stuff to look good and look, to look beautiful, but you know, we had a very specific aesthetic in terms of how we wanted to approach this and we wanted to cement it into Coulter's sort of, uh, first person experience of what Montana looks like and his experience there and how it changes for him, because then you've got the audience going on the exact same ride. You know, by the time you get to that beautiful crane shot over over the, uh, you know, Yellowstone River, the audience has been clamoring and waiting for to see something of Montana at that point, you know, then you've got them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that definitely comes through the the shots that you had, like with Coulter and, the, and like the hallways, um, his uh, I guess it, I don't want to call it a dorm room, but, you know, his his, his dorm that uh, it was very confining the lighting was shot in such a way too that you could definitely feel like sort of this canalization institutional of, and yeah. yeah yeah that was really really well done yeah and and even just from a color perspective like right like staying away from sort of the more naturalistic colors with all the you know interiors and like all that kind of stuff like cuz we really wanted to contrast sort of the power of nature right mm-hmm. um against the sort of more institutional framework of the VA. And, um, you know, again, not setting out to make the VA, you know, the bad guy in the movie, they're certainly not. Um, but just for the sake of the story. Well, it's Coulter's life- headspace, right? Yeah, exactly. It, that's how Coulter's seeing it. You know, we're not demonizing them. We're demonizing them through Coulter's point of view, which is a very different thing, right? And, um, but also for the sake of the story, we need him to get out and fly fish. So we've got, there's got to be some, right. something got to not work for him, although it does work for a lot of other people. We have the scene where they're in the group, right? Obviously, Coulter is not thrilled to be in that group and is not responsive to it. But other guys, I mean, you know, um, Saul, who plays the gentleman, he's the w, double amputee, um, who's telling his story. He obviously says that group has been wonderful for him. Right. So like that's the sort of line we needed to draw. It's not working for Coulter, just as it doesn't work for a number of a lot of other guys. But that doesn't mean it isn't possible for it to work. Right. Right. So. um, But anyway, yeah, I mean, that would that would, you know, visually, obviously, we're in Montana. We wanted to take advantage of Montana. We wanted to see the Absorca Mountains, which are unfortunate. We're unfortunately somewhat obscured by the um, uh, by the smoke that we experienced when we were shooting. We were shooting in August of twenty twenty one excuse me, and just had terrible fires um, mm-hmm. in Washington, California. And as a result, the skies are just very hazy, um, unfortunately. Now, the rest of it looks good, but, you know, um, we wanted to, you know, again, we want to tell a beautiful story. And 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 I think that, like, the way that we, you know, Eve sort of lit the film and, and staged the camera and, and all this kind of stuff ended up just becoming, it just ended up reinforcing, you know, the sort of, journey that the the audience goes on with Coulter, you know, and it's a somewhat it's a bit like a river, you know, yeah. there's sort of like there's some there's some uh, rapids in the beginning and then it's sort of like, you know, 
gets into some bumpy water throughout and then it sort of like, you know, evens out and becomes a nice big pool where you're just sort of slowly floating through, right? Like it's mm -hmm. very much a visceral um, or it's very much a subjective experience for the audience. But yeah, I mean, it's Montana. Yeah. Like you can't, you got to make it look go good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it is really interesting to me. And I, I think you've sort of answered this question already, but um, when, as you do sort of get into that more expansive um, point of view of, of Montana, the landscape itself almost becomes a character. So I know that, you know, the main storylines are, are within your three main uh, characters, but then it almost is like Montana becomes a fourth character because it is some, something that seems to bind all of them as they're going on their separate journeys. Was that intentional or did that just that come out as you guys were, um, you know, putting it in like sort of as you're producing and coming up with the scenes and, and filming and shooting? Did that come out or was that always sort of the intent? No, I mean, that sense of place was always there. You know, Stephen lives in Bozeman. Um, he wrote it while he was living in Gardner um, down at the entrance to Yellowstone. So the sense of place was insanely, you know, it's been, the, the sense of place of this film was in the script. It was in the DNA of the script, you know, and um, yeah. and I think Stephen, you know, captured it really beautifully. You know, there was early discussions about, oh, well, do we shoot this somewhere else? You know, do we shoot it in a different state? You know, do we shoot it in a different you know, part of Montana? And I just said, well, if we're going to do that, let's just change the location. Like, I don't want to try and like fake it for Livingston and for, you know, for the Paradise Valley. I just don't think it's going to like, I don't get the point of that. Like if we're going to stay, if it's going to take place in Canada, if it's going to be shot in Canada, let's just stage it in Canada. You know what I mean? Like, and, mm -hmm. and so, but not that I wanted to do that. I was very much saying we should just shoot here in Livingston and just make it happen because the reason for that is that the sense of place was so ingrained in the script. Right. And so I think that like, there's a reason why Montana is such a major fly fishing destination for people. But the thing is you can't really separate, you can't separate place from fly fishing. Fly fishing takes you to really beautiful places, you know, and it's hard to, to sort of separate the two, yeah. you know, they go real, they go really hand in hand. And I think that's that's also what's sort of um, what's so powerful about you know uh, f for veterans coming out with like words of quiet waters, you know, like they're they're not just like fishing a stream here in New York or something like that. I mean, fishing on the Yellowstone is an extraordinary experience, you know, and floating down that river is just insane you know and and so these guys come out here from all over the country or sorry they go they go out to montana from all over the country and how do you it, it's hard to not be in awe of that right. and so that's really you know with coulter like coulter didn't grow up in montana right he he was he's not from there um yeah it was his his buddies yeah because like, he just doesn't have you know he doesn't have family um the marines are his family right so we sort of devised that character to be like that and we sort of you know, um, we sort of worked with, you know, Sinqua and I sort of talked about like culture probably being from, you know, more likely from an inner city 
um, you know, background and, you know, found sort of his family in the Marines, you know, and found his buddy in Blitz. And, you know, it just was this crazy, weird happenstance that he gets sent to Montana, you know, but it is that bit of fish out of water story. And I think that was that was a big part of the story we were telling. Um, but, you know, I think that um, it's just Montana, even being there, I'd never been to Montana before he started shooting. Um, you know, and so as we're scouting and as we're looking at the place, like we really are just saying, how do we make the most of it? So, right. Like we know we want to shoot on the Yellowstone. Um, you know, there's sort of a spring Creek thing that was described. And I said, well, what if we shot on Depew's, which is this world famous spring Creek in paradise Valley. And that's where a lot of the montage stuff is shot. That's where they go when they go take Lucy. Um, you know, and then we had this opening and closing scene and I thought like, well, we should shoot it on the Gallatin. Um, for those that don't know, the Gallatin River is where they shot A River Runs Through It. River Runs Through It takes place on the Blackfoot, but at the time, the Blackfoot was so polluted when they shot A River Runs Through It that they couldn't, they couldn't shoot there. So yeah. they decided to look at Livingston and Bozeman, and they shot on the Gallatin. And so the scene where Coulter and um, uh, Ike are fishing in the beginning and the end of the movie is shot in the same place where old Norman is fishing um, at the very end of River Runs Through It. So that's our little wow. nod, nod to that world. Um, and so, you know, it just becomes very easy to put the characters out into the world and then just point the camera at them and get something really beautiful. Yeah, uh, well done in that regard for sure. Um, as, as we're talking about veterans and veteran support, um, it wasn't just so much that you guys had veteran support of the movie. You actually had veteran support in the movie. Yeah, Is that correct? Right. Can you talk a little bit about, about some of the, the folks that were actually on camera? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, the place it starts with is you start with, okay, we've got a movie about the military, specifically the Marines. How we do, how do we pull this off? You know, and we had this big, fight scene, this big battle scene. And initially we were exploring just shooting at Montana and trying to find something that looked not like Montana <laughs> where we could shoot this scene. And maybe we stage it at night, you know, and this whole thing. Um, and then our, one of our producers, Kelly McKendry reached out to the U S the U S Marine Corps entertainment liaison office. And uh, for those that don't know, every branch has this sort of liaison office where they, you know, partner with Hollywood, as long as the script, you know, is appropriate um but like top gun right top gun work with the navy you know to, on mm -hmm. on their movies and so this was the same thing and basically we submitted the script we submitted an application and they reviewed it and they said this is something we'd like to support and uh we have a facility down at san um at camp pendleton uh that is basically like a you know afghan village or iraqi village um, it's our immersion training center. And if you want, you can shoot there. And that basically changed the game for us, especially with that opening scene, because, um, you know, look, there's, there's definitely other sort of sets, like, especially in LA where you can shoot, but you're paying for that. You're renting it and you're mm -hmm. building it out and you're, you're production designing it and dressing it. Yeah. And, uh, we got to shoot at Camp Pendleton for free. And they provided the location, they provided the equipment, they provided the, the vehicles, they provided all the tents, and, um, and then they provided a contingent of like 30 Marines who uh, helped us out, and they're, in, they're the guys in the background. Um, the sort of four main characters uh, are all actors. 
but all the rest in those scenes are are active duty Marines. And, um, you know, and they also provided technical advisement. So that just totally changed the game in terms of that opening scene and really authenticating it in the eyes of those watching it who have been there and, and experienced it. Um, and then beyond that, when we were in Montana, we actually shot those in reverse order. So we shot the Marine, the opening scene at the very end. Um, but in Montana, you know, we we definitely sought out um, as many vets, you know, as we could um, to participate and um, including, you know, I mean, our producers, one of our producers, um, Scott McLeod, um, he's an army vet. Um, you know, Kelly McKendry is an army brat. Her dad was at West Point. Um, you know, Stephen's dad was a, was in the army in Vietnam. Uh, my grandfather was, you know, a U.S. Navy pilot and he ended his career as a commander in the, in the U.S. Navy. And, um, you know, and so there's like that contingent among us, you know, that really has a, a connective tissue to this film. And then, yeah, and, and then we really sought out just getting as much of the real stories we can. So like in the group scene, we, um, uh, we, we cast uh, this guy named Sal Martinez, who is a, a local a Bozeman, and he's, the, again, the gentleman, uh, the, the WMPT, and basically brought him in. I said, just tell your story. Like, you know, just, just yeah. I'm not going to tell you what to say. Like, you, you know, you've done this. You know what to say. And, and so, you know, I wanted to capture my, a lot of those, a lot of the guys in those scenes, in those group scenes are um, former military or veterans. Um, and so, you know, it just felt, why not? Right. Like, you know, we're we and we felt they would also be willing to come out and do it. Right. Because uh, of the nature of the film. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that um, that level of support and um, participation is certainly are important and they're going to bring stuff to it that you just could never you can't invent, you know. And, sure. and um, well, I mean, there's such a level of authenticity there, um, even, you know, just seeing the scenes, it was like, those guys are definitely vets. Like, they're not just pulling people off the street. Like, this was, it, it seemed very, very much like an intentional, intentional Yeah, thing. and obviously, you know, look, you're a movie, you do the best you can. You know, you're not gonna, mm -hmm. you're not gonna get it right 100% all the way, right? You, but, you know, are we, are we at least sort of trying to attain an emotional truth? Are we trying to get it right? Are we doing the best we can, you know? And, um, and that was important. So, and even though he doesn't play a veteran in the movie, obviously Wes Studi is a is a veteran as well. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was you know that was another another aspect of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, what was that like then? Trying to get these guys' firsthand accounts. Um, you know, being a marine myself, I know that Marines are god awful at talking about stuff that they do. Like they'll very much tell you as if you're like filling out an eval on what it is that they've done, but to actually get them to open up and, and talk about their experiences. Sometimes they'll talk about other people's doing things all day long right. <laughs> to get right. them to talk about themselves. It is a painstaking process. Well, what was that like for you guys? Um, especially to like Marines tend to be very like, um, you know, uh, hesitant to outsider sort of influence. Did you well, guys find yeah, any? Well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, look, our movie is about a Marine, but it's definitely not, it's not, the, the post-recovery experience is definitely not specific to a Marine's experience, you know, and I think that's mm -hmm, important mm -hmm. too. Like, it's about that a Marine because yeah. we had to pick a branch, you know, um, <laughs> but it is universal in that regards in terms of veterans as a whole. Um, you know, it 
it, um, and so, you know, we just talked to whoever we talked to, whoever would talk to us. We talked to a lot of, you know, army guys, um, uh, you know, probably sp- sp- focusing a bit more on like army Marine, you know, um, mm-hmm. rather than sort of, uh, us Navy sailors, pilots, not to say that they weren't, we just, I don't know. We just ended up connecting more with the, with the army and Marine guys. Um, and you know, they, a lot of the guys, um, were very open with us oh, and sharing their story and, you know, even, uh, you know, a big part of us was we were trying to figure out was in the original draft that Stephen had written. Um, he had written Coulter as a guy who was out like he was done and he was in this kind of transitional facility, you know, on his way out and turned to fly fishing. And, you know, we were struggling with what I struggled with. My perspective on it was I don't I don't know why he would go fly fishing. Mm. like how do how do because that's the premise of the movie so he's got to do it and it can't just be well he goes and does it right right? and so how do we get him fly fishing because i just see it like it can't be that he's done and he's got nothing to do he's just trying to get over his injuries you know and i was sort of curious about because i knew that there were people i know of people who are vets who or they're still active who have been injured and went back Mm-hmm. right they've been shot and went back and so i was like there must be a mechanism it doesn't mean that you're if you're injured you're out completely there mu- there's got to be a mechanism by which you can go back in and we were um we were at this this warriors and quiet waters fx um and we were talking to a gentleman who was uh u.s army and i said you know he was sort of talking about his transition out and what he was describing was exactly what i was looking for which was he had been injured but the the sort of rehabilitation he was going through, like he wasn't necessarily in or out. Mm-hmm. He was being evaluated throughout a process. For him, it was quite a long process, but sometimes it's not. That effectively, what, I, I, once I heard that, I said, that's it. Because now, if in our movie, if in the story, Coulter wants to get back in, and the doctor sort of says, well, if you want to try and get back in, you got to do this, then he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why he goes and puts up with all the shit for Mike, you know, in order to, cause he knows in the back of his head, if I just can get through this, I'm going to be able to go back home to the Marines. And, um, and that was sort of something that now that we have a driver, right. We have a reason why he's going out to do it. And then that allows the fly fishing to sort of secretly embed itself in him in a way that he wasn't expecting. Um, and, and it was that sort of feedback and that hearing that story that allowed us to then sort of go back and revise what we had in a way that made it a little bit more dramatically compelling. And the other thing he told us was that he's like, listen, man, I was like, physically, I was there. I was back in exactly the same shape. Like physically, I was healed. But what I couldn't see and what everyone else around me could see was that mentally I was not. And that became the deciding factor in, in whether I went back in, in me getting back in. And that I understood to be this process, right? Not only are they evaluating from a physical standpoint, can you, you know, can you work your arm again? Um, can you stand? Right. Can you walk? Whatever that is. Um, but they're evaluating you from a mental perspective as well, right? And so, um, but the guys, what he told me was like, I never thought of that. He's like, you know, but I'm going out drinking and like, you know, doing all this fucked up behavior thinking that it's thinking it's just totally normal, you know, and not realizing that the mental issue, the PTS is rearing its ugly head in a way that everyone else can see that, but I couldn't, 
right? And so when he found out he wasn't getting back in, it was like devastating. But he he was like, it was obvious, you know, yeah. when I look back on it. And so that then again becomes sort of like that became the 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 sort of um narrative wheel in our story that allowed us to to sort of get Coulter going. Otherwise, it's sort of like, well, I'm out. I have nothing to do. Let me go. And it's not to say like this is nothing not a knock against Stevens writing. I think that what this what this sort of um, illustrates is the value of going out and talking to the guys that have really lived it, you know, and that kind of experience is you can't make it up. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt to make it up and I don't think Stephen would either. And I think we both saw the, the, the sort of, I don't want to call it a gold mine, but the incredibly valuable um, perspective that these guys were sharing with us. And it just became, how could we not put this in the script? You know, another great yeah. thing that came from a Marine who was, I talked to, who's now a fly fishing guy and I believe down in Virginia, he's somebody I reached out to early. And he, um, he was the one who told me the line about, you know, in the book of every soldier's life. And, um, you know, I know people are going to knock me for saying for us writing soldier, but there was no way to encapsulate everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you wrote in the book of a Marine's life then all the army guys are going to say, what about us? Right. So anyway, mm -hmm. but the point is, um, you know, in the book of every soldier's life, the military is a chapter. Everybody that's in it thinks it's the whole story, but it's not the whole story. Right. And so that was told to him by another vet, Vietnam vet, as they were sitting on a river one day. And that kind of perspective, I was just like, oh, my God, I've got to use that. we got to use this in the film. And so, mm -hmm. you know, this is not a story that you can kind of just go out and make. You know, I, I've got those movies like you're not really doing much research, like you're just kind of inventing it as you go. This really right. wasn't that story. And so, you know, having the sort of support and buy in from, you know, guys, either veterans, veterans organizations, um, active duty military, you know, it just allowed us to make a really authentic film um an emotionally authentic film right like even uh, most audience members are not going to understand the scene with the trash but i bet everybody who's in the military oh, understands yeah. the scene in no, the trash. as soon as i saw that scene i'm like yeah i get i get it and that again was something i i was less aware of i mean i sort of knew in the, you know i knew generally but like that was something another he told me this this marine was it's like man i could drive down the same street 10 days in a row and there'd be a pile of trash and most of the time I'm fine. And then one day out of nowhere, this massive anxiety and mm -hmm. wave of fear just takes over me. And he's like, and I've been driving by this pile of trash for days, you know? And so I just was like, that was the kind of thing where again, trying to emulate the experience of having PTS, um, it's not an easy thing to do in film. And I was looking for every way possible to try and communicate that experience to the audience, or at least um, allow for moments where if you, if you know, you know, yeah. right. And yep. so, um, but that kind of stuff was not something I was just going to be able to invent nor, nor would Steven, you know? And so for us, it became instrumental in the telling of the story that we, we talked to as many people as we could, and we get as many perspectives and experiences as we could to make sure that we were just telling a story that was honest and, and emotionally truthful. Oh man, well, what tip the tip of the cap to you guys for even taking sort of humbling yourselves in that way, because there's so many, it seems like at least that there's so many people that I've got a story to tell and I'm, I'm going to tell it. Um, and I'm the best person to tell the story, which oftentimes is true, but 
there's always those perspectives. There's always that nuance um, that you just, even for those who have experienced, and sort of like you'd mentioned, like for, you know, every person who experienced trauma is not just a veteran thing, but any, every person who has experienced trauma is going to have a reaction that is nuanced for that person and in that environment that they um, experienced it. You know, even, you know, for those who have done multiple tours, their experiences in Afghanistan do not directly reflect their experiences in Iraq and, you know, and vice versa. And right. so anyways, but the, the fact that you were willing to uh, be open-minded enough to um, sort of listen and take in those experiences and then incorporate them into um, your movie. I mean, I, I can't imagine it's an easy thing to make changes on the fly, especially to something as critical as a script. But To me, why would you, why wouldn't you? Like, yeah. why wouldn't you take advantage of of what these guys are telling you, you know, and some stuff didn't make it in or we couldn't figure it out, yeah. you know, but but I think that when you hear something and you go, oh, that's that's it. Right. We got yeah. we got to nail that. And so, um, you know, just just being as accurate as possible to me as a filmmaker. I mean, that's that's the goldmine. Right. I mean, I right. I'm not going to I'm not suggesting that somebody else's traumatic experiences are you know, benefit to our benefit. But I think that if you're trying to tell a story that connects directly with that audience, the more authentic and the more truthful you can be in your storytelling, the better. And that is only going to come from sitting down and, and letting these guys talk and share. So, you know, I, to me, it was, there was no question of us to do it. And, and I looked at it and just go, I mean, <laughs> I think it shows in the film, you know, I think some of the moments that everybody yeah. highlights, I can very easily point to and say, well, that I didn't make that up. Neither did Steve. Right. Right. You know? And I think that that gets the support from and the buy in from the guys you want most of, you know, again, whether it's fly fishing. Right. If you if you you know, if, if you fuck up the fly fishing, like we'll say goodbye to that community, like they're not right. watching the movie, you right. know, right. and if you fuck up the the sort of soul, you know, the, the the military element of it, well, goodbye to that community. Like and then who's left? You know, like it's very important that you you tell a story that is satisfying and or um, impactful to the communities that you're making a movie about, you know, yeah. and I think to not do so is to ignore the the is to ignore the opportunity um, to reach a wider audience and, and get buy in support. I mean, I can tell you, like, you know, we made, you know, this film you know, in the fly fishing world, like, you know, we got, uh, we got featured in the June, July issue of fly fisherman magazine, which is the premier fly fishing magazine across the country, you know, and there's the level of sort of, um, stamp of approval and support that, that we got from them, um, is uh, incredible in the same way that like getting that stamp of approval from the, the department of defense and the U S entertainment liaison office, you know, for the Marine Corps, like, you know, their sort of sign off on this film is like, no, you guys got it right is very very important to us you know because that means that it because that is important to a lot of other people that are going to ultimately watch the film sure sure yeah i mean it's it's it's, it's got to be uh satisfying fulfilling on, on, on many different levels um but i think just the fact that you guys were sensitive to it i think you already started off on on the right foot um well as as folks are watching this and, and again mending the line uh coming out june 9th um, what are some of the things that you want the audiences to take away from it? Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, if fly fishermen, you know, don't fuck it up for the fly fishermen, but also don't fuck it up for the veterans. 
what what are some of the things that would be um you know uh your intention for people leaving this film i mean i think that um you know look the last movie i made was in a, a very divisive type of film and it was um and it was sort of um I wasn't angry, but it was like an angry film, you know, and I won't go into it here, but it was the idea. It was intentionally provocative and pushing mm. buttons and violent and that whole thing. Um, and, you know, but, but having done that and then having, you know, looked at this film, you know, I just felt, you know, we had as a, as a, as a world, you know, as a, as a world civilization had just come through a very, very traumatic experience. Sure. Um, and I wanted to make a movie that was very like sort of positive forward. Um, that was about overcoming trauma. That was about relationships and meeting people and about finding peace. And I think that's what, why this movie really spoke to me in Steven's script. And I think that that's ultimately, you know, what I want people to take from it, that, that there is, you know, there, there is something out there for you. And, you know, especially with veterans who, you know, now statistics are varying, but anywhere from 22 to 44 veterans are committing suicide every single day. Um, you know, the tragedy of that is, I mean, astronomical, mm -hmm. but um, even one is awful. But I think that if there's just somebody can see this and reach out, or 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 it lets people know that there are you know programs out there that there is it's not going you know and sitting around a bunch of guys and re re, you know releasing all your feelings right it's like that's a turnoff for a lot of guys I assume there is something out there maybe it's not fly fishing maybe it's surfing maybe it's hiking maybe it's working with horses maybe it's woodworking maybe it's you know any on and mm -hmm. on and on um, maybe it's regular fishing it doesn't matter to me you know but I think that there is something beyond it. And I wanted to make a movie that was very much about hope and about sort of, you know, having a positive impact on each other's lives. And it felt like the right time for a movie like that. And so, um, you know, I would say this movie, you know, if you're not into fly fishing, I think this movie is still, still for you, you know, um, it, it's got, it's really the movie is about overcoming loss you know, and, and whether that's, you know, loss of identity as, as a Marine or as, you know, somebody in the Navy or as an art, right. Or like, mm -hmm. or loss of like a buddy, right. Or loss of a brother or a parent or a fiance or a husband or a wife, right. That's not all there is. It's not the end of it. And, and I think that, you know, there's opportunity uh, for people to find sort of community in, in, you know, in these different areas of life. And so, you know, to me, I, th I ultimately just wanted to make a movie that made people feel good, you know, and, and gave them a little bit of hope and gave, left them, had them leaving the theater saying, I had a really enjoyable time at that movie. And so I hope that's what people take away from it. And I also hope we can help raise awareness for, you know, veterans and, and what these guys and these women are, are experiencing as they come back and transition into civilian life and the real, real challenges of that, that they're facing. And this movie is just a small way of sort of helping to get the word out there. Um, and if that can be helpful, then I, 
you know, that can be, I think that's fantastic. And so um, I think that's why so many people have sort of um, come out to support it because they know this is a very serious issue um, in many, many different ways. Um, and at the same time, you know, so many people have experienced that transformational effect, you know, of these kinds of activities. And so, you know, the more that th this can show support, the more that we can get the word out there, the more that we can have people who can come and watch this film, the greater the sort of, um, you know, the, the um, awareness is going to be for this issue. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, I, I think you've sort of downplayed a little bit of what your impact could be. It's more than just a small thing. I think a, a, a film like this, um, if nothing else, it's going to, because when you think about those folks who have committed suicide, who are struggling with post-traumatic stress and mental health, I mean, it's so isolating. It's so lonely. And I think for something like this to hit on the big screen in, in a in a medium that is, is so um, accessible, I think it's important for people to know that, hey, you're not, you're not alone. And we're we actually give a shit. Um, yeah. So this is this is really great, um, and I really I thank you for for doing this. Um, where can people see this? So is it um, are we getting a wide release on the ninth, or is it a limited at so, first? And then, I mean, I guess you could say it's limited. You know, we're not on five thousand screens, unfortunately. Um, we're not we're not the latest Marvel movie, but we are <laughs> going to be in theaters pretty much across the country. Um, you know, we're adding theaters daily. Um, and we'd obviously love if it is in a theater near you, um, if you go to, um, I believe if you, if you Google, I'll send you the direct link. So you have yes. it in the show notes, but Please. if you basically Google yeah. blue Fox entertainment, mending the line, you'll get to the, the page for it, um, from our distributor and that will have theaters where it's playing as well as show times. Um, but you know, um, if it's not playing at your local theater, call the theater and say, why isn't it playing here? Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and call it. And so obviously it's, it's really cool to have, be having a th theatrical release and it will be in theaters pretty much every, you know, everywhere. It may not be in every town, but it's going to be somewhere in every state. Um, and if you happen to, if you don't happen to catch it in theaters, obviously eventually it will be coming out on iTunes and on digital, you know, and probably on a streamer sometime later this year. Um, and we expect a lot, obviously at that point, everybody can sort of see it, but right. I think a movie like this, you know, it needs that kind of theatrical support, you know, um, um, sort of the specialty box office is a little challenged right now. And I think it's been hard hit and it's still trying to recover from COVID and all that kind of stuff. So the more that people can come see movies like this in the theater, the more movies like this are going to be put out into the theater and the greater the experience will be for everybody. So, um, yeah, I'll, you know, check out the link in the show notes if you're looking for, you know, a specific theater and you can also request it. And we'll be, you know, hopefully playing for a couple of weeks at least um, amidst all the the fun other blockbusters playing in the, this summer. Well, um, best of luck to you. Uh, you definitely got a fan uh, on this side of the uh, team's <laughs> screens. Um, Thank you. And uh, where can we find you? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm on uh, Instagram's the best place. Uh, my handle's at Joshua Caldwell Director. And, uh, you know, come for the fish picks and stay for a few, uh, you know, fun things about the movie. But that's actually what convinced Steven to be okay with me directing because Kelly, 
you know, she was like, oh, he's a, like a fly fisherman. And Steve's like, yeah, right. Like, let's see. And my, he went to my Instagram. My Instagram is all fishing pics. Like, I mean, yes. you'd be hard pressed to find a movie thing in there, but you know, <laughs> then he was like, okay, this guy's legit. He knows what he's doing. So yeah, on, on Instagram, um, you know, another great place resources at mending the line on Instagram. Like, you know, we're posting content um, and we'll obviously be posting stuff like theaters and things like that. That's an easy, that's an easy, easy way to get to, you know, the, uh, the information. So we're excited, man. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really cool. Look, you're, when you're making a movie in the independent world, you never know, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and especially these days, um, you know, a lot, so many movies are sort of either going straight to digital or doing this day and date thing, um, which is not a real theatrical release. It's, it's a very limited release. And so the support from Blue Fox Entertainment to put this out there as an exclusive theatrical is rare. And so we're really excited that people can see it on the big screen. You know, obviously, I know you probably saw a screener, so you don't get the full scope of it. But if you're able to see it on the big screen, it really just opens up to you in ways that you can't don't really compare even on a 70 inch television. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really great. Um, Joshua, thank you so much, man, for being so generous with your time. Um, I'd love to, uh, you know, as we get more of a release, just getting more feedback, maybe have you on again and talk more about this, maybe some more of your future projects. But thank you so much, man, for coming on. Uh, this has been really great. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate your your support of the film and, and hope your listeners get a chance to see it. And it's uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about, you know, uh, talk, what, it's always nice now to be able to talk about the film, right? Like you work on it for so long and now it's here and, and it's a nice opportunity to share and, and it's nice to have people that care. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for caring about this uh, really um, critical t- issue. And I mean, you got a, your release during PTSD Awareness Month as well. So yeah, um, yeah do, you're doing a, lot, doing a lot of good work, man. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you. All right, man. Best of luck to you with everything you got. Thanks again. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding. But you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.